Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the NXT, formerly known as 2.0 pre-review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andrew Pollard today to discuss everything that happened on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, Dynamite, Rampage, premium live events, uh, pay-per-views, we have wrestling interviews, we sometimes answer your wrestling questions, uh, wrestling roundtable discussions we also have, and we also round up the week, um, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Pollard, this show, if you weren't uh, getting in a professional capacity to consume NXT, would you do it? Um, Probably would, just because... There's always that ray of hope of like this is gonna be something. It's it's that the whole. I guess it goes back to like the years of Raw, where like, is it Stockholm syndrome? Like, it, or I I don't know. Is it just because it's part of your your weekly habit? You watch it, uh, whether in a professional capacity or not. I like to think I would because I'm I tend to be Mister, you know, glass half full. There's gonna be something good this week, and there was something good this week, but there was a lot that wasn't good. At all. So um, that's me kind of sitting on the fence, but going like, yeah, yeah, would. I would. I wouldn't. I would not watch this fight. There are certain things on this show. I was like, if you're going to do stupid things, that could never happen. At least make them funny. And they weren't funny. I just, I'm talking about Chucky. Okay. I'm talking about Chucky. You're a big, um, how can I put this? I don't like, you love Carpenters. You've obviously got some taste, Pollard, but you're a big, so bad it's good horror guy, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I love me some horror. It's like a massive horror nerd. That's as well as the wrestling stuff here. A lot of what I do, uh, what culture is horror related. So yeah, I'm, I'm a go-to horror person. You might be more interested in Chucky than I was. Chucky might mean something more to you. What are the casual fans going to think of Chucky? Anyway, I will promise to get in a better mood because the show starts off on a high. Um, it is Rhea Ripley complete um, or flanked. Uh, by the judgment day, and she defeats Roxanne Perez, which I wouldn't have done if you want to take it seriously in a match that's coming up, but I'm not trying to win a petty one-week war against AEW, so what on earth do I know? I would describe this opener as good, and it got very good at the end. After some initial, let's just say I had some suspension Mm. of disbelief issues, and I'm usually really quite generous uh, when it comes to this sort of thing, but there was um, the airplane spin that Roxanne Perez attempted to hit Rhea Ripley with, 
Um, it just looked like Rhea Ripley was, in fact, swinging Perez yeah. around by the feet. I thought it was more Cesaro than anything else. But anyway, those chemistry issues aside and the slight lack of believability, I thought this evolved into something um, pretty damn good. Uh, the great dynamic, we were talking about this on the AEW uh, review earlier, which you can also check out, of course, wherever you get your podcasts from. Rhea Ripley, I've never seen anyone eat a post in God knows how long, yeah. as well as she yeah, did yeah. this match. She launched herself into it. It was fantastic. Um, and that's how the spirited Roxanne Perez, who also flattened her with a great low pay on the outside. It was like a low pay slash Tez Perez, and she got all of it. So that was a great bit of work as well. There was one disappointing spot where uh, Roxanne Perez was about to launch into a low pay before she eventually struck it. Uh, Rhea Ripley noped it and walked around the ring and was George Ackerman with the crowd. I thought she should have just blew the back of her head open with another low pay, but she kind of just crawled out of the ring and then kind of tried to step down and forearm her. They've missed a the spot there, uh, or they missed a the trick anyway. But regardless, it did get pretty damn good at the end. Rhea Ripley, like, she's great value in the judgment day, but on this evidence, and obviously so much evidence of her career, get her wrestling every single week because she's genuinely great. Uh, the finish... I use this word with the heavy irony it deserves, of course. And um, Roxanne Perez is protected because Dominic Mysterio um, interferes, um, providing the distraction, allowing Ripley to um, deliver the riptide to Roxanne Perez. Look, it's you're only beating someone who's got a marquee match at your premium live event by main roster star because AEW's on the same night. Um, I'm not going to take it seriously as a result or a mark against Roxanne Perez, but just what a stupid thing to do. But it's, I don't think any less of Roxanne Perez, just the creative. What did you think of this match? Uh, I, I love first and foremost how this this is the peak of your excitement for this show. Was this is the the one mildly um, mildly positive element, and yeah. you're already just like this is horrible. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. There were there was a few, um, I don't know, teething issues, miscommunication, I guess. There's a few spots here and there that weren't as smooth as you'd like them to be. But I, I love the dynamic. I, I did actually make some notes of this. And one of the first things I wrote was that Ripley corner bump, the, the charge, the, that was, yeah, that was awesome. fantastic. Like through out the out into the uh, the outside of the ring. It was um, it was a hell of a, a gnarly looking bump. Um, I, I like the dynamic. It's like the visual was great in terms of just Rhea Ripley, this, what? Five foot ten, built like a tank, powerhouse, and then little Roxy. Obviously, as the the villainous heel, and little Roxy, Roxanne Perez, as the undersized baby face. I thought visually that just told a great story on its own. Um, the the match was good, and they got going. The, the distraction finished. Like, what, what, what was the distraction? Like, Dominic literally just looked at it. That was that was what distracted it. It's like he was yeah, on the outside of the ring. To be honest, but that's what the went with. Yeah, it's it's just like, oh, okay. So Dominic's at the ringside and just kind of looks at, at Roxanne and she ends up walking into a riptide. But I, I thought it's fine. I, I don't have too much of an issue with with beating Roxanne. Although, like you said, obviously there is the big match at Halloween Havoc for this brand that she is on uh, coming up on Saturday. So there's an argument there you could have maybe, I don't know, shenanigans or some sort of plucky underdog roll up from somewhere. Um, but I, I guess the logic they were going for was Okay, this this young twenty year old undersized small in stature girl 
cut kind of hanged hung hanged. She hanged with Rhea Ripley, this this established former women's champion on the main roster. Um, somebody who's been to main event, well, they call it a main event. Somebody who's been to main events of WrestleMania against Charlotte Flair and Roxanne gave a good show on themselves. So I, I don't understand the logic they're going with, but yeah, but this was the high point, Cedric. So you know, this was the high point of NXT this week. This was the high point. You know what? I actually rather enjoyed what followed, even if it was just quite impossible to take seriously. It was Cameron Grimes with the uh, the OC, uh, the Good yeah. Brothers. Oh no, that comes later. Actually, sorry, I've got my notes all completely wrong. But they're in, they're in the locker room chatting strategy to quote uh, Matt Striker um, backstage. Tony D oh. um, on crutches after that unfortunate injury, um, flanked by Stax. Um, he teases Stacks with who the opponent's going to be tonight, but says, you know what, I'm going to reveal who it is a little bit later. Um, and then we get the first of, I think, two Chucky cameos. Um, the inter- uh, interrupting an interview with Grayson Waller um, and Chucky in a video message on the tr- on the TV screen next to um, yeah. Grayson Waller um, says that, you know what, I've got a bit of a bit of a scoop for you. Um, your match against Apollo Crews at Halloween's Havoc is now spin the wheel, make the deal. And Grayson Waller sells for something on the telly. And look, I don't mind this sort of, I would describe it as quasi-canon of Halloween Havoc, yeah. where it's the one night a year where spooky things can happen, and I don't mind it, really, in terms of the actual approach. But, yeah, I'm just not a Chucky guy, not particularly a Chucky guy, nor am I a blindfold match guy, and I think that's where they're heading with this one, given the the, the, the storyline. Yeah, uh, I... You don't like Chucky, You, 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 you brought me down now. Okay. <laughs> I was not very for liking Chucky. I'm, sh- I'm sure the original Child's Play is meant to be good. No, there's there's some very good elements in it. Child's Play one's really good. Child's Play two is decent. Child's Play three, yeah, not so much so. But that was kind of marred at the real life. There was the whole Jamie Bulger incident at the time that released, which kind of fell over to that. Um, yeah, then you have like uh, Bride of Chucky. You have See the Chucky, which are very slapstick. Then there's a nice, really cool franchise re- re- recalibration, I guess, with. Person Chucky, which is followed by Cults of Chucky, which was then followed by a Child's Play remake with Mark Hamill voicing Chucky rather than, well, Buddy rather than uh, Brad Jurif. And then the Chucky TV series, which is what this is here for. This is what it was all the promotional tool for the new season, new episodes of Child's Play TV series. So there we go. There's a quick rundown. The franchise is okay. It's not the best. It's not the worst. But the, the, the stand. Thank you for that, Paulo. Yeah. And also, of course, you know, Rick Steiner and Chucky from back in the day. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. I do remember yeah. that. I'm old, yeah, unfortunately. It's I can't anything more to it. I thought Grayson Waller did the best he could possibly do with this, which <laughs> yeah, that's that's one I guess one kind of backhanded compliment was yeah. it was pretty naff, but hey, the fella he's he's great as that um the overselling prick heel. Um and he sold this like it was the most freakiest thing in the world and more power to him. Yeah, we are big Grayson Waller fans on this podcast. So, yeah, I guess I will be generous along similar lines. Um, yeah. So we get the reveal, and they've been building this one for a few weeks, um, and Tony D'Angelo has selected the mystery opponent um, to go against Stax. He's been a bit, a bit too much of a wise guy, actually, and interfering too much, so he needs to get taught a lesson in tough mm-hmm. love. And who better than, not Canyon, Shinsuke Nakamura to be the mystery opponent, gets a huge pep, and uh, this studio audience are just absolutely besotted with Shinsuke, I don't think they expected this one, 
And ultimately, in a pretty one-sided play the hits match, they go absolutely crazy singing a cappella um, Shinsuke Nakamura's theme song. And the match really doesn't get um, much to it, but it's always nice watching an audience actually react to Nakamura, even if this was hardly, hardly the very best of his work. Stacks get like a flying back elbow, but that's pretty much it. And um, it's really quite abrupt. So he hits that and then... Nakamura goes to the outside, trades luck with Tony D, and then simply gets back in the ring and wins. So I don't know what Starks is doing. Um, all I know is that this is an, yet another transparent attempt to win the quarter hour against um, AEW Dynamite. I don't care. They're going to be just fine. This war is, if nothing else, a little bit of, a little bit of daft nostalgia. Um, but what did you think of this? There was really nothing to it, I don't think. So a bit of a hospital. I... I'm sure with your cultured left peg, you can control it. Um, yeah, it was. It was like you said. There was nothing much to it. It was what it was. It was. It was. It was cool to see Shinsuke back in that arena. And like you said, again with the back on the compliment. Yeah, it, it was good to see people care. Sorry, it's we're on Zoom, so there's going to be some awkward cross talk. Yes. So apologies to the listeners. Did you like his attire? I did the yellow and black. Yeah, uh, I, I was very much down with that. I thought he looked badass. That obviously when you hear that that music straight away, like it's very. Um, uh, very unique, you know what's coming straight away. So that was cool when you're thinking, who's this mystery opponent going to be? You hear that straight away. It's like, holy, sh- this, this could be that. And he comes out, he looks badass. And like you said, the crowd, even though it's only 500 people in a building in Florida, they they gave him a big reaction. <laughs> to be fair, they gave the Good Brothers a big reaction. And what are you doing? That yeah, no. just, um, yeah, I don't think Machine Gun's been over that much for like 15 years or so. But uh, yeah, with Nakamura, it was what it was. The couple of Kinshasa's, there was the, the look to Tony D. And this was all part of the, the greater story of basically Tony D uh, being impressed with the guts of, of Stax. Stax went in there against um, a former NXT champion, um, some of these challenged for the world title on the main roster, uh, and he, he took his beat in like a man. I guess that, that's the uh, the overarching narrative to come out of this, and Tony D's now got respect for the man that who he brought with him, what, six months ago, eight months ago, nine months ago. So you would have thought you maybe you had some respect because you brought him in and you saw him in that place. But no, it took a beating from Nakamura for him to gain your respect. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, mate, to be perfectly honest. But oh, <laughs> proud of Starks after the match, and he articulates this to him. And yeah, either this is on ice, and it was just a little small thing. But I think they were building to it. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm sure they'll have a match at some point. That's what wrestling does. Uh, we get a backstage segment mm-hmm. with Axiom and Nathan Frazier. They're just chatting. Um, just yeah. have a bit of a waffle on, and then they're confronted by Von Wagner and Robert Stone, and they have an argument. And you know, it's quite convenient that they're all in the same room because two of them are going to be in the same match together at Halloween Havoc. So, Crazy. I guess this, yeah, I guess this qualifies as build, as does Alba Fire defeating Sonia Deville. And um, this was stupid, um, it was annoying because I think <laughs> Alba Fire and Sonia Deville actually demonstrated a bit of in ring chemistry. Now, I again, the mega fans will forgive me for this. I make this point, and I would say one in every three, four podcasts. I like it when wrestlers really put something behind a move that is meant to be countered, like the anti-John Cena five moves of doom clothesline energy. And Alba Fire and Sonia Deville did a great job of just motioning to really, really kick and strike each other before ducking and making it look like it was actually going to have an impact, therefore making whatever they are doing in there somewhat realistic. So that's quite uh, fun. And then some less fun stuff happens because there's just so much obvious toxic attraction interference. We don't know how it isn't a disqualification. Um, But in a pretty uh, uh, lucky, fortuitous result, um, Abafire fights them all off, uh, wins 
with a schoolgirl. So it was probably useful to get one um, NXT wrestler to get over the main roster import um, for the night. But the rest of Toxic Attraction um, attack out the fire in the post-match. And that draws out Mandy Rose, um, who says that she's going to fight fire with fire. Um, so it's going to be like a bat match or a, a flaming bat match or maybe an inferno match at Halloween Havoc. But regardless, um, when her back is turned, Toxic Attraction attempt to um, attack Abafire, but she kind of just kicks all her asses. And um, when Mandy Rose comes in, she does the old baseball bat to the gullet um, and says, you know, back off, sister. And if you don't tell, you know, I'll pummel you to death and all the rest of it. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't muster the enthusiasm for this, I'm sorry. I never would have guessed. Yeah, it was uh, when we did the NXT pod, which you can go listen to, the, the NXT pod, sorry, the AW Dynamite pod, which is available by the time you listen to this, I'm sure. And I mentioned that there was a segment with Ron Wagner and I just got Jack Swagger vibes, not even necessarily Jake Hager vibes, Jack Swagger. And it was the backstage convenient, oh, look, you guys are in the kitchen talking about how great your trilogy and matches were. I'm just going to come in and be angry big Minnesota fella. Grr. And it's like, yeah. man, but the... Yeah, the um, the Alba Fire stuff and, and Sonny Deville. I, th- I thought there was some good chemistry there. Um, Sonny Deville's gone leaps and bounds these last few years. Uh, and Alba Fire, Kaylee Ray, very capable, talented uh, a woman in the, in the ring. And it just, it was the post match just felt, like you said, it just made ev- well, everybody apart from Alba Fire look like jabronis. The fact that there's the three of them, there's Sonny Deville and the Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane holding the back with a, ma- a bat in her mouth and with hardly, I don't know. It felt like there was hardly any real effort that, that Alba Fire put in. And she just easily just went, actually, I'm going to take this bat and I'm going to slap you and you and you. And then I'm going to... It was all just a bit like, right, that makes those three look like complete tits. Um, yeah, and, bad, but, bad idea, because as you said, it wasn't even executed very well. And you did the execute no. makes the, the heels look inept. Yeah, it was, it was. It was. There was no real force behind any of the, the moves that got the three heels away from her. So it was just... It just felt like she was just kind of swatting them away really easily. And... I'm sure the match will be good because, like Sonia, I think uh, I think Mandy Rose has really gone on leaps and bounds the last few years. I'm not one of those that's going to say she's got a better V trigger knee than Kenny Omega. Oh, no, no, thank you. Please don't say that. I'll just I'll just hang up the call. I'll hang up the call. <laughs> we have half a podcast this week for NXT. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But she's she's improved a lot, and I'm sure they'll have a good match at Halloween Havoc. It's not going to set the world on fire, no pun intended necessarily, but. Hey, it is what it is. Uh, yes. What have we got next? It oh, it was the brawl next, wasn't it? Carmelo and Trick and Wesley. Um, yes, yes, yes. And so Fel, they back. rebranded from NXT UK. Yeah, we uh, cut backstage, Wesley and Mensa, Oral Mensa, um, getting ready for the upcoming tag. And this has been a continued theme where Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, I guess, to put over that, they really see Wesley as a threat and you're meant to, um, therefore, Think of Wesley as a credible contender because they're always beating him up when he's unawares backstage. He kind of looks like an asshole, an idiot, actually. Um, but regardless, that sets up a tag match which functions as an advert um, for the ladder match of which uh, three uh, wrestlers in this tag will be appearing on Saturday at Halloween Havoc. Um, it's all action, aerial combat. Um, but you know what I couldn't get away from, right? And I spotted at least three instances in this match, maybe more, but at least three where it's like, right, you've been watching Pack. You've been watching Pack. And I know he's not the only like sort of hybrid futuristic wrestler who does the bump mm-hmm. where it's essentially like a handstand on the on the head on yeah. the top of their heads. And then they sort of because they're so great athletically, they can 
contort their bodies in different ways. But I was like, lads, you've watched Pac, you've you've been on Twitter, you've seen Pac get the praise for these signature bumps that he does. And I counted three of them, and some of them were not Pac level. I will say that. I think Carmelo Hayes tried one of a leg drop, and it just did not look good at all. And I just thought he's a trying really hard to get your gifts in this match as opposed to putting something on that's truly exhilarating. Um, so I just got annoyed. I got annoyed at pretty nifty athletic wrestling. As I said, I've got a lot of latitude towards that style, more than most, I would say. But this was just, they tried to go too far in maximizing their minutes for me. But the finish, uh, let me get my notes. Uh, yeah, the heels win. Yeah, yeah, uh, Carmel got the win. Uh, maybe it was just a case of, you know, paying homage to one of the forefathers of NXT. There we go. Of, of yes. The man who gravity forgot. The the man who nearly became what, a, a realised version of uh, Mighty Mouse, if, if yes. Vince would have got his way. It's just just pay, paying it back, brother, paying tribute. Um, but no, I thought it was what it was. There was some all right spots in it. But as you alluded to, it was just clearly just, hey, we've got this big ladder match coming up at the weekend. Here's a snippet. These guys are going to be in it. And then you have, obviously, um, Fraser going down afterwards, doing some... Everything he hits is so crisp. I, I can watch that guy all day. And also, isn't he? He's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's the... There's, a, I guess, in a way, it's not in the moves he does, but in the way he connects with his moves is pack like. And obviously, there's an element of Seth Rollins there, considering you know we train under him. Just there's a Christmas to it. The um, the, the crossbody did off the top rope to the outside on on Big Von Wagner was just like just the way it connected was like you don't see that often from people. It's just like yeah, man, that that guy's good. Yeah, Von the, Wagner not so much so. Yeah, the collision detection on. Um... Nathan Fraser's work is just stunning. And you can tell he's great because he doesn't just do these absolutely incredible aerials and these sort of like warp speed sequences that like you put over the crossbody and you're right to do it because that is a high spot that I watched when I was a lad. I've watched many people do that high spot. It's one of the oldest ones in, in existence. And he can still sort of reboot it, if you like, and make it spectacular yeah. because the execution is just absolutely out of this world. Um, we got a quick backstage interview hyping up the um, segment um, that is emceed, if you like, by Kevin Owens later on. And uh, yeah, bloody hell. I love how the, the, the excuse, and it is an excuse, but the excuse to put Kevin Owens on and announce him in advance was that Shawn Michaels was really worried about um, the action spilling out of control and getting out of hand and giving the fans too much of a taste for sun, for those Saturdays, PLE, and you know what, they might even not make it. They, they all hate each other that much, yeah. so someone needs to restore orders. Have we got a really popular main roster star? We can do that. Yes. Have we got like a 12-strong security team? Oh, yeah, they're rubbish. Just get Kevin Owens. It'll get a ring. <laughs> Absolutely irritating. I'm trying not to get annoyed. It's all very corny, but come on. Give yeah, us a I, I say more as like, we need somebody who's actually like got charisma on the mic and can ad-lib if needed and get a few laughs while the other people just do their really forced, predictable, <laughs> scripted oh. lines of, oh, oh. It was bad. But anyway, that's we've that that's still to come. We've got loads to get through before that nugget. Yeah. Wow. Don't worry, we will bury it. We will bury it just in more detailed form <laughs> later on. Um and then yes. up next, you know what? This was genuinely quite fun. Um it was Cameron Grimes. I've got the correct um notes this time with Carl Anderson and my boy, the apologist that I am for Luke Gallows, and they defeat the schism, or in Adam Wilborn's words, the Jesus. I know a lot of people will be upset if I didn't say it like that. We've got very weird, uh -huh. very, very, very cool fans at the same time. Um, a trio of Joe Gacy, Jagger Reed, and Rip Fowler. It's all action. I'm not going to recount it. It mostly flatters the baby faces. Um, Gallows 
for the second of two return matches. Kind of flubs his lines a little bit, but that's one of the reasons why I love him. I just think he is so funny and he's got a role to play, both ironic and earnest. Um, <laughs> I love this as well. Booker T, he's been a little bit um, calmer and less inexplicable than I thought he would be. But he comes through in certain moments on commentary, and I just love his easy frames of reference that he thinks are clever. You know, you know, you know the club that remind me of uh, uh, Harlem Heat back in the day, did it? They yeah. remind me of Harlem Heat back in the day. I suppose, you know, Gallows has got your strikes, but I think you're just saying it because you're in that. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tag team book, and you want to get them over. But anyway, <laughs> follows you. And the Steiners. You mentioned the Steiners and then the Nasty Boys. And I'm like... I- Mm. I do not get the Steiners out of Gallows no. because when no. I think Steiners, I think of extremely colourful attire. I think of incredibly yeah. futuristic and legitimate, wonderful offence all at once. I think of people looking like they're in perilous danger and the matches are all the more awesome for it. I think of amazing jock energy. I think of like, you're probably going to shorten your careers with the way that you work, where in contrast, I look at the Good Brothers and I'm thinking, <laughs> you're working to get paydays at 60. Uh, but you know yeah. what? They did actually get themselves about a bit. Me and Hamlet have got a bit of an extended riff at the minute of how you'll get about a month of this. You'll get a bit, about a month of Gallows screaming and jumping into the corner and getting his lo- leg really up for more than one kick in a match. But ultimately, uh, after some pretty hot action, actually, even though it's impossible to take what used to be uh, the Gristle Young veterans seriously, I thought... Um, don't don't Cameron, remind me. I know, uh, it's sad, isn't it? I thought Cameron Grimes in particular was really strong. He does the the, the, yes. the football kick to the um, Gacy's chest on the outside, and he tries to do it with so much momentum that he almost falls off the apron. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. He's really trying hard to make something out of this utter dreck storyline. But ultimately, once he takes Gacy out with that move, um, Gallows and Anderson execute the magic killer and they cover the guy who used to be James Drake. James Drake <laughs> um, yeah. the... Jagger, Jagger Reed. Jagger Reed. Yeah, I know, man. I know. But uh, yeah, I, I love that the spot you talk about there with Cameron Grimes where he hits the um, the, the cave in of 
think it was Gibson then just flips over the top, runs the big boot, where he almost basically it's like the um the old uh, guile spinning up kick thing on Street Fighter 2 almost. Yeah. That's, that's the rotation he gets. It's like, oh but we were talking on the uh, on the dynamite pod about Trent Beretta being kind of a little bit under the radar for his in-ring ability to a lot of people. Uh, and I think Cameron Grimes the same, just so fluid, so smooth in what he does, just everything looks good with him. Very talented dude. Um, hopefully after this gash at the weekend, he'll be um, up on the main roster sooner rather than later. But hey, this match was what it was. It was what it was. It was quite hot, if impossible to take seriously, because again, the, the schism are just absolutely wretched. And there's three yeah. very talented dudes in there. So I feel sorry for them every single week that I watch them. But yeah, it's time. It's time for Cameron Grimes. Um, it's one of those where should he have even been on NXT in the old system? He was obviously not going yeah. to be, but it's different now. Come on, Trouble H. Do her all a favor. Cameron Grimes' banter on the main roster um, is absolutely much needed. We go backstage and Via Mahan is being interviewed by Mackenzie Mitchell. Um, Sanger interrupts um. and Sanger tells Via, right, after last week, I'm ready to listen. I love that, the idea of like the long-term storytelling <laughs> this year who literally had like two matches as a tag team on the original NXT. Um, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Um, we get a really short Pointless, some might say, pre-taped contract signing. Two, in fact. Um, there was one later, both for the uh, respective tag team titles. Basically, the champions say that you're not a real tag team. The challengers say, yeah, we are. And then the champions say something to the effect of, well, we're the better one. So I thought they weren't a tag team a minute ago. Now that uh, I hear yeah. it so bad. And then we get the... Um, uh, I would describe it as... They used to do this kind of thing on Superstars. And they did it very recently with Roddle, uh, Roddle? Rollins and Riddle, which itself was um, John Jones and Cormier. But like the face-to-face um, where they each occupy half the screen. It's Julius Creed and Damon Kemp building their match, the ambulance match at Halloween Havoc. And they're basically saying that Damon Kemp is saying that, you know, I take the shortcuts and, you know, maybe I'll just get the chair. And Julius Creed is sort of like seething with anger, saying, look, you've done nothing. You've done nothing but take shortcuts. And you've got nothing to show for it, you needing me to be famous and all the rest of it. Look, the acting in NXT, because of the terrible scripting, generally is quite poor. I maintain, right, that I'm watching, and it's harsh, but you're watching a lot of people, unless you're talking about your McDonough, Alba Fire, Dragunov types, and Frasers, you're talking people who are making their first forays into wrestling and TV, and it's hard to really say, other than Breaker, who's got it. I think Julius Creed as a solo singles has really got something. And he showed me it here in spite of the terrible verbiage. Yeah, and on the flip side, I thought Damon Kemp was not the greatest of deliveries. But that's that's what these that's what they're there for. It's developmental, I guess, at the end of the day. And especially with Damon Kemp, where he is still so relatively new to all of this. Um, maybe in a spot that he's not quite ready for, even though you could argue. Uh, but yeah, I, I did like there was to me. I saw it as a as a tie back to the the Daniel Cormier and John Jones uh, one of these they did ahead of their uh, on their fights and the bit where it it cuts off and you get the the bit afterwards and and it just because it's it was just so bizarre um, the the Jones and Cormier one where John Jones like. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And, and then Daniel Cormier's response is like, you really think I'm going to let you kill me, John? I'm not going to let you kill me. And that's what they kind of had here, where it's like, I could come for you, I'll give you 10 chair shots to the back. It's like, you really think you're going to let me come for you for 10 shots? It's just, it was daft. It was fine. I, I think, like like you said there, Julius Creed, I think has big break. Both of the brothers are talented, but I think he's just got, you look at him and think, yeah, if you're, I guess if you're Triple H now, you're looking at him thinking, in a few years time, that he could really be a serious singles player. Um, but 
I'm sure the match will be again. I'm not a fan of ambulance matches per se at all. Uh, all the stipulations you could have picked, it's like, okay, cool, let's just get it over with. It, uh, maybe you can do something to make it. No, you can't. It's going to be gash. Imagine, I mean, the physicality will be there, I'm sure. Just the whole ambulance match concept does does nothing for me whatsoever. No, nor me. So I'm not really looking forward to that. But again, I believed what Julius Creed was saying. And on this show of all shows, yep. that's virtually impossible. And we get a big reveal. Funnily enough, there's going to be a main roster star on the show next. And it's uh, Shotzi Blackheart, which, you know, yeah. maybe that's a bit of a generous designation in her case. <laughs> Don't much, but, you know, she's got. She's got a connection, I guess, with Halloween Havoc having hosted it, and she's back once again to host it. Um, drives to the ring in the tank. Like, people do like her. And she did have something in NXT, but, you know, that's kind of gone now. But, hey, it's Triple H's WWE. Maybe it'll come back. Um, she says that we have to go balls to the wall um, for Halloween Havoc. And she's about to plug her tag team title match on SmackDown this Friday before being interrupted by Zion Quinn, um, who really fancies himself as a potential co-host for Halloween Havoc. And then you realise why they've done this, because... Um, Quincy Elliott comes out and says, actually, no, I'm the super diva and I should instead be the co-host. I love the idea that the host is this prestigious thing. When they yeah. Do, they do the intro and then like they'll do two of the skits and that's it. They like, possibly give a toss. But anyway, Shotzi suggests that they have a match to decide who's going to be the co-host and it's Quincy Elliott who defeats Zion Quinn to get the prestigious role. The match is basically based around the fact that Quincy Elliott is pretty big and pretty powerful and Zion Quinn can't even lift them up and when he tries to lift them up to his cost, he gets his back smashed in and all the rest of it. There was a really good Lariat over the top rope Zion Quinn ate a lot of crap on that bump, and that was pretty much the height of the match. That was before the bell rang. Um, but ultimately, Zion Quinn just cannot overcome the power advantage of Quincy Elliott. When he tries, he just gets his back flattened. Um, and Quincy Elliott wins with the bonsai drop, which I'm sure you will agree, Pollard, is one of the all-time underrated finishes. Oh, absolutely, dude. Give me Yoko and that all, all day long. Um, yeah, I, I, with all of this, what, yeah, when it was shot to it was just like, a, oh, all right. Well, I, I can kind of see what you've done there. You know, Halloween Habit before. Oh, she does the werewolf thing. Fantastic. Great. And she kind of growls when she speaks of it. Um, but yeah, when, when Zion Quinn came out, you're thinking, oh, he's going to come out and he's going to, what, is he going to try and get himself a match on the card at Halloween Havoc? No, no, no. He wants no, to be no, a prestigious no, no. I'm like, oh, right, uh, okay, great, fantastic. Um, and I think there's something there with Zion Quinn. I mean, the dude looks like a, a million bucks um, and his work's decent, but this was just like, yeah, didn't, didn't nothing for me. Um, Bucket T got to drop a gold dust reference, I guess. That was about as exciting as it got. Indeed. Uh, in case you're really aware of and interested in potential long-term stories, and actually, I neglected to mention that Hank Walker, the security guard, um, was the oh, guy. Yeah informed the finish by um, allow, uh, prohibiting Quinn from using a foreign object. And uh, One of your many distraction finishes on the night um, gives Quincy Elliott the chance to win, which in fact he did. And as uh, so the celebrate after the match, you know what? I'm going to be nice to NXT here and not nice to AEW as a contrast. This show is the stupidest show ever. It's absolutely terrible. The characters are impossible to take seriously. They do world-breaking, supernatural stuff. And they kind of do it before Halloween Havoc as well with the whole Apollo Crews thing, right? I was watching this and because I watched it so close to Dynamite that you couldn't help but draw the comparisons. And I had my old Wednesday Night War podcast head on as well. Certain things like Shotty just celebrating for a nice 
15 seconds with um, Quincy Elliott. And later, Cameron Grimes and the OC celebrated for 15 seconds. And they even managed to have a little bit of banter where Grimes was sort of befriending Gallows a bit. And Anderson was still like, this guy's a bit of a goof. But it was a nice bit of endearing interaction. They register things and allow you to process what happened in NXT 2.0, which has got 30 different segments on the show, way better than AEW do things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they linger on things more. Um, Even if it's just someone standing around, kind of chucking to their partner, whatever, or like you you talk about Gals and Anderson, we're there, like, well, where's our payday? And as if they're expecting Cameron Grimes just to pull out some like skiddied skiddied fibres from his uh, shorts or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it it is, it allows you to think, you you remember what's going on, like, oh yeah, that was that match they won, they celebrated, blah, 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 rather than, boom, as soon as the threes hit, it's like, right, we're onto something backstage, we're onto something, the next match, the next entrance is starting, we go into a break, Excalibur's having a breakdown, trying to cram in a, a promo spot for the next four weeks of TV, all in the space of 20 seconds. So yeah, there's 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 some positives there. They they let things breathe a little. Yeah. But more Chucky next. More right. Chucky. Yay. Oh, we do, yeah, because we get a yeah. uh, we get a skit <laughs> in Chase University. This is an absolute disaster. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> Chase is in class. Right? What a terrible lecturer as well. Um yeah. he's giving a rundown and a history lesson from the from Halloween Havoc, which as he correctly like that bit. Dates yeah. all the way back to the late um, 1980s. And um, he says, like, so your homework is, you know, brush up on your Halloween Havoc and watch this one because it's going to be great, my pupils. He's talking to the audience. That's, that's what he's doing. And he says, with no insight whatsoever, yeah, you should, uh, Chamber of Horrors is rubbish. We're just going to skip past that one. I think that was meant to be a punchline. It wasn't remotely funny. Yeah, and the Yeti as well. And the Yeti. And oh, my God, Bodie Hayward. They do close-ups on Bodie Hayward because he's got a big, daft, stupid jock face. And it's all variations of him going, what? And it's like, am I watching the early 90s on a Saturday morning? Because that's what I feel like I'm watching. And, yeah. um, and with no insight whatsoever, what a bad lecturer. It doesn't say, like, why Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero from Halloween having 97 so good. He just says it's good. Well, well why? You're meant to teach us something? I, mean, anyway. I, I like his, um, I like how his history lesson went from, see, so started in the late 80s. We had a classics like Ric Flair and, and Hulk Hogan. We had DDP and Goldberg. And then it goes straight to Mandy Rose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but we just going to miss everything else. Like all the other big matches, the big moments. No, they don't matter. Straight to Mandy Rose. Um, straight to Mandy Rose. You know what they should have put over? Um, the otherwise pretty terrible Sting versus Jake Roberts match, where Sting does the oh, big. Oh, mine is glove. That's the, yeah. Brilliant. The jump yeah. around the ball. It's like, holy. Oh, God, Sting was such a. One of the coolest movie. gifts that, that does the rounds around about this time of the year. Just yeah. phenomenal. God damn, man. All about Stinger Surfer. Surfer Sting. Yeah, that was that's my Sting. That's my Sting. It's always my Sting. I want to do that Sting in AEW at some point as well. Like, obviously, I don't think he's got. He doesn't want to chance the hair that he still has by peroxiding it. Just get some plugs. Yeah. Get some plugs and we surf a Sting. It'll be absolutely awesome. So, anyway, during this chase, you skip. Wouldn't you know it? Somehow, Chucky appears on the screen for another video message. And Bodie Hayward is about to really go to town on Chucky. So, you don't interrupt Andre Chase. He's giving you these really weird 40 second lectures with no insight. Um, and he can't actually do that. And Chucky does the whole. I guess it's somewhat cute if you like this kind of thing because they swear and chase you and Chucky swears as well. And he says it's a teachable moment. And Thea Hale says, what the f... And, uh, yeah. Then you get another dumb uh, Billy Haywood impression, uh, facial expression of like... Oh, God, such an asshole. God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> but his gimmick is early 90s dickhead. 
Yeah, I, I get Van Hammer vibes a little bit, like early Van Hammer vibes for some reason. Yes, just which is, isn't good, by the way. That's that's not good. That's yeah. No, let's not let nostalgia blind us too much because that is absolutely not good at all. Yeah. So we get something of a non-match now because it barely starts because it's Cora Jade defeating Raquel Rodriguez uh, via disqualification, and um, because basically Cora Jade just tries to take a kendo stick in the ring. Uh, they do the gimmick where Rodriguez traps it between a. Uh, in her armpit essentially and then takes it off her and then smacks her so hard that I winced at how hard this was it was mm. pretty cruel but pretty great if you've got a you know the sickles meme I'm kind of like that when it comes to pro wrestling violence so I was really delighted by that um, and she just runs away a bit after Perez comes back swinging it at Jade um, which is meant to convey look I've grown from the inexplicable time that we ran back the Alexa Bliss versus Bailey 2017 finish and I'm actually going to use the weapon this time so that was that I guess yeah that it was I don't even call it more an angle than a match it was just it was what it was it was it was short it was Raquel being that you know Either a really dumb baby face or just showing how little she gave a toss about this match. Like, I'm just yeah. going to batter you with this candlestick with the referee stud all of two yards staring at me. Even Rick Knox would have to have called that as a DQ. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's how obvious it was. Like, geez, man. Uh, and that guy's dreadful. But yeah, it was just uh, like, I think. Yeah, it's just to set up the, oh, look, here's, here's now Roxanne coming out with a Kendall stick and she's swinging it around. She did have a really good swing, to be fair, that Cora J just got out of the way of when she was exiting the ring. It's like, oh, yeah, that was nice. Nice bit of cracking that. I love that. I just love it so much when you try to hurt someone, even though the spot doesn't call for the for the actual impact, but a reversal yeah. or a counter of some kind. It's my biggest wrestling pet peeve. And I think it was developed through years and years of enduring the Super Cena character when these tossers had to bump and feed for his five moves of doom with the most pitiful clothesline you've ever seen. And I get people saying, you know what, John Cena was really underrated in the ring and people were um, a bit too harsh on him just because he was kid-friendly. No, it's because he sucked. He could see through all of his stuff. <laughs> I'll never stop being that loser on the internet when it comes to John Cena. Uh, oh, we're here in like October 2022 reviewing an episode of NXT and still there's a Cena dig gets in some, somehow. It, it always ties back to it's a big match, John. Yeah. That just dies. Honestly, not very good. You know, I do a little bit of a muffled swear, Paul, and I won't try and neg you on main. Um, and on the subject of main, we're coming up to our main event segment. Um, they get a wacky skit at a party where Briggs and Jensen are drinking with Fallon Henley and uh, Ikemanjiro's there, and there's a woman walking on her hands, and uh, I don't know what this was, and I'm just going to gloss over it because we then get the KO show hosted by Kevin Owens, and oh my God, this was terrible. We were talking before, about how this crowd is extremely generous, generous, receptive to virtually any any wrestler. They are kind of psychologically conditioned to say, this is awesome and fight forever when a certain spot happens, regardless of whether it's executed at a pack level or, I don't know, a Prince Ayakia level or whatever. Um, oh. I'm sorry, mate. Oh, no, don't we throw Prince Ayakia in the shade. I was just trying to think of a bad cruiserweight to do the comparison thing. Who's worse than Prince Ayakia as like a light heavyweight style wrestler? Oh. All right, maybe you get me on the spot. I, I'm going to think of some, someone. Um, I might struggle. I might have to send you a message and come back to you on that one. That's that what, is quite. What about AEW era Jack Evans? Because um... in the world, he was pretty cooked at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're in terms of definition of weight more than style, and we're talking at early AEW, Jimmy Havoc comes into that. Just I thought he was dreadful, like no time for the man at, at whatsoever, even before all the stuff came out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's something there with Jack Evans. I, I still always hop back to like, but then you. you I don't know. Every time you watch him, it's like, oh, that kind of, a little bit more of that hope just slowly dies. Yeah. Like, oh. I just think that it was a nice thing. It was a nice hire. Look, he built some of this in an indirect way, so let's give him a contract. Yeah. Anyway, this isn't the being harsh to a let, guy. Let him, let, let's watch him shoot himself in the foot with his contract. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we do, uh, we have this main event segment, and as I was saying, like this crowd is very receptive to everything, whether they are Jimmy Havoc or Park, right? And, oh my God, some of the verbiage from JD McDonough is so oh. pissed to her. So it's like, it's just so stupid. I'm going to cause you mental anguish, not physical anguish. That's how I'm going to get you this time, Ilya Dragunov. And the, the word plays. I expect the gadget villain. I'll get you gadget. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. And this crowd are like audibly chanting, what? Um, Dragunov tries <laughs> to come back with some kind of. Um, like WWE can't stop its baby faces from being like banter and like having like witty yeah. reposts. And if there's one thing Ilya Dragunov isn't, and he's a lot of good things, but if there's one thing he isn't is banter, watching him in this on the stool against the talk show backdrop trying to do zingers was just excruciating, absolutely excruciating. But the whole theme of this is that uh, Kevin Owens is there under the vague, stupid excuse pretense that he's going to not let the action boil over. The words get a little bit harsher as it goes on. And then he basically says, you know what, Sean, I tried. They're going to have a fight so they can fight. Then they do, in fact, have a fight. And Dragunov gets the better. So that means he has the least likely chance of winning. McDonough's got more of a shot on the basis of this angle. Holds up the belt. And then Austin Theory threatens to cash in. It It was a segment. Um, I... I think out of all this, I thought Ilya came off the worst with the verbiage, yeah, just terrible. because, like you said, it's not his wheelhouse. As that, the earnest, beaten down baby face who's emotionally giving you his story, like he, like the, the matches with Walter for the NXT UK title, that he's great in that sitting because it's just, like you said, the zingers, the one liners, that's not him. That just feels, it felt so scripted and so unnatural and so poorly delivered. And that's not really down to him. Um, the McDonough stuff is just gash. Um, <sighs> Braun was Braun and just I think Kevin Owens was having fun that was it I don't know how much of his is was just off the cuff um it seems like a lot of it was he popped Booker T a few times he popped me a few times it was just like kind of the big boy there with no interest reading what's the I'm just gonna here to have some fun for myself I'm gonna I'm gonna make myself laugh I'm gonna try and pop the boys in the back and that was that and then hey a town down that's that's um that's that's not I, I, it's not the worst thing in the world you know because Austin Theory's not doing much and no since Trips has come into power on the main roster. Um, I don't know if he somehow ended up coming, because I was when looking at that segment and I'm thinking, if you put the belt on either Ilya or onto uh, JD McDonough, they're not really a strong enough name in terms of recognition for that audience to carry that brand necessarily. Um, so to keep it on Braun, is it, what's the plans with Braun, blah, 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 blah. Whereas if they were going to do a title switch, I think Austin Theory is not a bad option for that, to, to carry that brand as a, an established star who's had main roster experience. And who clearly they've got this conundrum now of what to do with the Money in the Bank briefcase because there's zero chance he's cashing in on Roman Reigns yeah. any, or anybody who beats Roman Reigns anytime soon. So it's uh, one way to get around it is he cashes in and he wins the, the Money for the, the NXT title at some point. But it was okay. That part of it was okay, seeing Austin Theory there. It was, it's intriguing. Just the, the most of the segment that came before it was 
turgid, dreadful, just uh, lad. There's a decent headbutt between McDonough and um, Dragunov, yeah. but that was about the extent of the good quality heat uh, to this segment. I'm with you on the Austin Theory thing. He's not going to take down Roman Reigns. I hate the idea of it. I do <laughs> like him being a smug bastard, big fish in the small pond gimmick. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, like fits in with his character if he does do it in NXT. So I don't think that's a terrible direction to take at all. It's actually quite inspired. But if you agree, let us know under the Twitter link to this podcast at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, whilst today, you can also follow my colleague for whom I'm grateful uh, today, Andrew Pollard at... Uh, at Culture Left Peg. Yep, you can follow me at M. Sidgwick. You can follow all the gang at What Culture WWE. And that's it, I think, on the Docker for Podcast today. But if you've missed the Dynamite review, you can catch that. Uh, we'll be back um, later in the week for previews and reviews and all the rest of it. So please um, check back to your podcast feeds over the coming days. I mean, th- oh, Pollard's got something else to say, it looks like. Lenny Lane, man. If we're going yes. with the cruiserweights, there, I- yes. I'm going to scroll that one there. Lenny Lane, we got there in the end, unlike <laughs> Lenny Lane, who didn't really. Uh, but again, yeah. thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And until the next one, we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.